and worship team for leading us into the presence of God. It's nice to come to that point where we actually sing directly to God and we worship him and tell him from our hearts how much we appreciate what he has done for us. It's something we need to do daily as we've learned today we were, when Tony was speaking, that it's good to remind ourselves and to worship God and sometimes that's really the key to getting through our problems. Just like to start off, just a short word, prayer. Father God in heaven, Lord, we worship you. We thank you, Lord, for your grace in our lives. We thank you for your mercy, Lord God. We thank you for all that you have done for us, Lord. We thank you for all that you are to us, Lord. God, we thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to gather around your word, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that it is your desire, Lord, to speak to your children. It's your desire to feed our souls. It's your desire, Lord, that we come to you as the source of all good things in our lives, Lord. God, we just come before you, Lord, asking you, Lord, to have your way. Lord, to open the word to us, Lord, to speak to our hearts and minds, Lord, to encourage us and give us something to go on with, Lord. Words of eternal life, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. You know, it's good to rehearse your faith. It's good to go over the things that uh, God has done for us uh, in the past. It's good to remind yourself of those times where God has helped you and strengthened you. As we spoke last week, this is going to be the follow-on. Sharon reminded me this week that uh, Pastor frequently, when he's doing a follow-on, that he spends half an hour recapping what he did last time. So pretty much most of the message this week is going to be recapping what I spoke on last week. <laughs> and you think I'm joking. <laughs> but it's good to go over what God has done for us. It's good to remind ourselves of how he has helped us in the past. It's good to stir those things up in our minds and our memories. You know, the idea of uh, this notion of having blind faith is a, it's a myth. It's something that the unsaved have invented, something that people who don't know much about God have invented. The truth is that's never been God's plan. God has always wanted people who come to him with a trust based on what he has done for them before. The notion of blind faith has been cultivated by unlearned and unsaved people. They doubt the existence of God, so call our faith in God, who they cannot see blind. But the truth is, he's done so much for us. The children of Israel were never encouraged to exercise blind faith. On the contrary, they were encouraged to remember what God had done for them and use that to be the foundation for further trust in God. Didn't God do this for you? Didn't he take you out of Egypt? Didn't he break the power of Pharaoh over your life? Can't you trust him again? Can't you trust him one more time? That's what God asks of us. Not that we're good at it, because we're not, but this is what we're doing tonight. This is we come around the word in order to bring our focus back into line with the word and back into focus uh, the things of God. It's sort of like God doesn't want, this is a wee joke. Actually, I had goldfish Christian but I'm thinking sometimes it could be a Clifford Christian, you know, where uh, the goldfish Christian, he's sitting in a bowl, <laughs> he's sitting in a goldfish bowl, and he's going like, oh, look, a castle. Swims into the castle, and he goes, oh, it's a wonderful castle. Wonder what's out there. Oh, look out there. Goat swims out, and he goes, oh, look, a castle, and he swims back in. He's no memory, no long-term memory. <laughs> That's where I was going with this. <laughs> he wants the people who are, who are, are meditating. <laughs> He wants the people who are meditating on what he's done in the past and meditating on what he can do for them in the future. Uh, so let's, I want to look at briefly, like I said, recap on last week. 
and uh, go on from there. Last week we started with Isaiah chapter 40. And I'm just going to read the first verse that we read last week. Um, You can turn to it if you want to. Uh, It's Isaiah 40. Definitely, at least you should underline it, highlight it, take a note of it. Something you should look at whenever you're in distress. Look at whenever you want to remind yourself of what God has done for you. Isaiah 40, 28. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creators of the end of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary, there is no searching of his understanding. Amen. Isn't that a wonderful God that we come to? The God who created the ends of the earth. The God who has no searching of his understanding. There's never a point where he goes, I don't know how to solve this one. I didn't see this one coming. Isn't that a wonderful God that we come to tonight? It's a God who is not reduced by the uh, passing of time. He did it once, 10 years ago. He saved me years ago. He can't do it again. He can still save souls. He can still deliver us from whatever we face today. It's a God whose ability to change events, influence people, assist or intervene has not changed with the passing of time or the change in your circumstances. Our circumstances change, our situations, our employment, our home situations, our friendships, our vehicles, or whatever changes, but he does not change. Don't believe the lies of the enemy. The enemy will tell you that you're on your own, your resources are limited, uh, there's no open doors ahead of you, but this is the God of open doors, the God of opportunity, the God who doesn't change. If all the world was blind, was the analogy we used last week, we talked about philosophy. If all the world was blind, would the sun still shine? Yes, because it is in its essence and nature to shine. In the same sense, if all the world stopped believing in God, would he cease to be God? No, he wouldn't. Because it is his essence and nature to be God. That's something we can take hope in tonight. That he doesn't change. That he's God because he's, there's no one bigger than him. There's no one more powerful than him. Last week, we were encouraged to realign and refocus and regain our perspective of life based on the reality that we worship and serve the eternal God, the creator of the ends of the earth. There's great, great importance that we should stress on that. We looked at the name briefly of, uh, of God, El Olam, which is the supreme eternal God, literally the God whose vanishing point is hidden, um, which, is a great, which is great truth because we have a beginning, we have an end, but we, the part of us will go on, but we have a beginning. Some people think of God, how do you explain God being eternal? We can, we can understand him always being around. He'll always be here because there's a part of us that understands that we'll always be around. You know, in Ecclesiastes, we said about um, he has set eternity into our hearts so we can understand that God will always be around. But actually, the, some people, our, our brains, well, the truth is all our brains sit down whenever we go, he always was. We can't understand it, we can't grasp it. I actually take great comfort in that fact. He was the first cause for the universe. First cause for creation. The God who created everything. So he stands outside of the change that we are affected by. That is, he is not affected by the things that sway us. We're moved and swayed. It's such a fragile world. Even this past week, we looked at the life of, we heard about the life of Amy Winehouse dying. Uh, a, t- a talented woman, great voice, although I struggle to understand her at times, but still, you know, such a a short life lost, fragile. You know, something grabs my imagination, my hopes, my dreams, or my heart, and I chase after it. How many people know that those are the most powerful hooks in our lives? The enemy will use each one of those things to take us off and to distract us. 
He will use each one of those there things, whether it's to build up our hopes. Oh, I hope this business works. I hope this career works. I hope this degree or this education works. The devil will push us in a direction and then when it falls through, the devil is leaving in ruins. But I tell you tonight, the eternal God doesn't change. The God who opened the door for us to do those things, to go those places, hasn't left. The world, the flesh and the devil is limited. Limited in options, limited in resources. But I tell you, God's not limited in resources tonight. The eternal God of Israel does not change. He awaits and calls to us. He whispers his love and calls us to repent and return to him. Doesn't matter if, you're, if you've been swayed and distracted this week. Doesn't matter. Come back to him. Remember, remind yourself once again of the truth that he is not changing. This is the God who still hears and answers prayer. The God who still responds to the fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man. Don't go knocking your pan in to find a solution or an answer, but there is an answer. This God who does not change. Last week as well, we also talked about righteousness. I hope you all got your dictionary out during the week and looked that word up. Becky. Uh, we talked about his righteousness enduring forever. His right action. It's not just a cliche, a throwaway term, an archaic word, but something that is pivotal to the gospel. The cultural relevance of the holiness of God and his high standard is an easy way to highlight man's depravity and need of a saviour. He responded and out of his righteousness provided for himself the sacrifice that was acceptable. That is a great truth. Can't forget tonight, Lord, that the love that God showed towards us in that showing that we were nowhere near his standard, that our standard and the righteousness in this world was so much lower than his righteousness coming from a world of utter perfection. That was his love for us in that he showed us that we weren't good enough. And then he opened his hand and presented his palms and said, look here, these were for you. This is a great and mighty God. Tonight, I want to take it a wee bit further, look at it a wee bit more depth. Okay, it wasn't a half an hour recap, it was only about five minutes, but tonight I want us to go to uh, Deuteronomy 33, if we can turn over to that. And we'll take this in another direction, slightly. Deuteronomy 33, Deuteros Nomos, the second reading of the law. Deuteronomy 33, verse 26. I'm going to read a few verses here. Deuteronomy 33, 26 says, There is none like unto the God of Jehesharon, who rideth upon the heaven in thy help, and in his excellency on the sky. The eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. He shall thrust out the enemy from before thee, and shall destroy them. Israel then shall dwell in safety alone. The fountain of Jacob shall be upon the land of corn and wine. Also his heaven shall drop down dew. Happy art thou, O Israel, who is like unto thee, O people, saved by the Lord, the shield of thy help, and who is the sword of thy excellency. And thine enemies shall be found liars unto thee, and thou shalt tread upon their high places. The last words of Moses that are recorded in Scripture. At last moments of any famous man, of any great man, are always something that we should take note of. We should pause, meditate on them, especially whenever it's a godly man, especially whenever there's something that could be significant. 
Here Moses is giving his final admonition to the children of Israel, his famous last words. Often they're profound and honest. Unfortunately, whenever I looked them up on the internet, looked up generally um, famous last words, I found a lot of very funny ones, <laughs> which weren't very appropriate, so I'm not going to read any of them out. Um, but famous last words are significant. A godly man will say something in those last moments that is of value, something that's of eternal worth. Standing on the doorway of eternity, nothing frivolous and uh, that floats through your mind. It's something permanent, something eternal. So I want to look briefly at these words, but I want to think in a minute for, about Moses. Moses was a remarkable man. We all know about the story of Moses. We've all grown up with the stories of Moses and the, the basket of bulrushes. We've all grown up with stories of the 10 plagues. We've all grown up with those stories. But I want to look and think afresh about what Moses, who Moses was and what he went through. As a young man, he had the best education that money could buy. He was raised as Pharaoh's son, the richest kingdom on the earth at the time. He was trained in astronomy. He was trained in mathematics, in economics, in politics. He was uh, logistics, you name it, philosophy, everything he was trained in. He had the highest education going. He came from a place of position and prestige and privilege. He had all the power and authority that was going that wasn't the right path for him. We all know about the story how his passionate love for the children of Israel, for his people, overcame him and he killed the, uh, the taskmaster and fled into the wilderness of Midian. And there, God toughened him up. See, God is more interested in our character than he is in our comfort. He's more interested in who we are and what we trust than he is in how comfortable we are and what our situation is like. It's important that we remember this eternal God still values those things. He still values character in us. Something we don't hear much of, especially in young people growing up, we don't hear much about developing good character nowadays. We, we hear so much about having a good experience and having a good uh, situation or, oh, wasn't Friday night great? But whatever happened about developing character, about developing those things that God values, of course, no, one's, no one in the world talks of those things, but we should talk of those things. We should encourage our young people to, to, to prize these things. You know, When you're looking for a, for a partner, if you're looking for friendships and you're looking for things like that there, what you should look for is people who display godly character, who display loyalty and honesty and integrity. The scriptures are filled with it. In the Old Testament, they may not actually say the words, Joseph was a man of integrity, but they tell you the story of Joseph's life. And you read the story of Joseph and you go, oh, he's a man of integrity. So therefore we know to prize things like that. And God still prizes those things. So much so that he, he allowed these circumstances to unfold that drove Moses off into the land of Midian, where he found a wife. <laughs> and he got some character. He became hardened. He became toughened for the task that was ahead. We all know about how he returned to Egypt and how... With God, he broke the power of Pharaoh, displayed that to Pharaoh and to all the Hebrew children that Pharaoh's power was limited, that his resources were limited, and that he, couldn't, he didn't have all the answers. But only the God, I am, has all the answers. That's the same truth tonight. God still has all the answers. God can still break the power of any, anything that would hold us back, anything that would hold you down. This is a great God we serve.
Moses, over his space of his life, witnessed whenever he led the, finally led the children of Israel into the wilderness through the joys and enthusiasm of leaving Egypt. Oh, here we go. We're all up and we're in their, we're in their caravan and we're going. Whenever the, the Egyptians were giving them, the scriptures say the Egyptians give them things to go. Here, go, get out quick. Here's some money for the train. Through the excitement of that, through the excitement of seeing Pharaoh's army destroyed at the Red Sea, through the excitement of manna first coming from heaven, through all those excitements, he also seen despair, he seen hardships. He seen the children of Israel turn their hearts away from God. He seen them backbiting and murmuring and arguing and, well, what about the leeks and garlics of Egypt? Oh, they were so much better than this manna. What is it anyway? That's the God who, this is the man who God had raised for this time. This man who put up with so much, but his love for God and his love for the people of Israel never faltered nor wavered. Actually, at times, he actually almost argued with God. God was saying, out of the way, I'm going to kill them. And Moses was saying, no, 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 no. Here, what would, the, what would the neighbors say if you killed all your people? This is Moses, a man of remarkable stature. He's described in the scriptures as the meekest man who ever lived. He's also described as a friend of God. What a, what a privileged position. He says here, one of his last words, he says, the eternal God is thy refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. The eternal God is your refuge. You know, it's important that at this moment where Moses is speaking to the people, he's going, I'm leaving behind the people who have faltered and fallen. And he's going, I need to lift their vision. Just as Isaiah last week changed his tone on that chapter 40 from looking at the problems and looking at the present to chapter 40 where Isaiah then turns to look at God and to look at the future. So too Moses here at this moment is saying to the people, stop, stop messing with that. Look at this. This is the eternal God. He is thy refuge and strength. He is thy refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. You know, with this world out there today, so many times we're talking about Amy Winehouse or whoever, People who are swayed around talk about uh, binge drinking. They talk about teenage pregnancy on the rise. They talk about so many social problems that they try to solve with laws, with uh, restrictions, with curfews, with things like this here. If you tell a generation that you're basically soup boiled in a puddle, what do you expect? You tell them that you're no better than a dog or a cow, what do you expect? But if you tell them, you bring them up to believe and to know that they are made in the image of God. Do you think that their opinion of themselves will change? Do you think that their opinion of their neighbor will change? Do you think that the way that they interact with each other would change? It would indeed. The thing is, the truth is that the heart of man is wicked and he only looks for an excuse and those excuses of evolution or things like that are just excuses that they crave to. It's almost like not answering the question. I'm not going to thing. <laughs> so friend, tonight, the eternal God is your refuge. Have the worries of life, the stresses, the changes, the troubles of life got you weighed down and suffocating? Let the eternal God be your refuge. He's been a refuge for people for generations, for thousands of years. I'm sure he's got enough power, enough ability, enough resources to be your refuge again tonight. Trust in his unchanging character. As I was saying at the beginning there, rehearse the things he has done in the past. Remind your faulty brain of the things God has done before. Maybe even write it down. Sometimes it's a good wee habit to write things down. God did this for me today. 
God did this for me this day last year. Good to remind ourselves of those things. Some people have got a good memory. Remember whenever they got saved and they remember that time and that day and they sometimes even celebrate it. It's good to do things like that. Remember the times that God has helped us in the past. God has saved us in the past. You know, there's a sense in God's word and his promises where he not only has a spiritual application, but he also has a physical application where he saves us spiritually, but also sometimes he saves us physically from problems. And I'm not just talking about a roaring lion running around the streets, but I'm talking about situations in our lives, in our business, in our schools, where, where things arise that would, that would trample us down, that would destroy us as individuals, that would destroy, this, destroy the spark of God's life in our lives. And God will save us from those situations as well. So remind yourself of his past interventions, but do not limit him. Don't limit him saying, God, you saved me that way before, so that's the way you're going to save me again. He might have saved you that way before, but he opens other doors. He's got many doors. He's the God of doors, <laughs> of open doors. It says, now unto him that is able to, to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. That sounds like a, an eternal type of God to me. That sounds like a God who's got no limit in his resources. Moses had seen the power of God and faced the people who he had even stepped in to defend time and time again. Like I said, he had reminded God, don't kill them all. Don't wipe them out. You've, you, people around here know that they're promised. They've got the promise, that they've got the covenant of God. Moses, who knew well enough that God's people were continually having their vision filled with foreign gods, the things they had or didn't have, the most charismatic speaker and the news show on town. Aren't we just the same? Don't we get distracted by those things that we have or don't have? And, oh, I really love a new whatever. Don't we get distracted by those things and go chasing off after them? I can remember when I was young, working really hard to get a watch that I really, really wanted. <laughs> broke down a while later but still Moses seen that and here at this moment he's reminding them listen these things are trivial remember the eternal God is thy refuge underneath are the everlasting arms Moses called them back to remember that amidst those things or people clamoring for their affection like a good downpour of rain despite it all the eternal God is your refuge and should the waters arise and should it start to flood, he added, that underneath are the everlasting arms. I don't, I, 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 I don't mean to harp on, but it's something we need to remind ourselves of. You don't build a house when it's raining. It's my dad frequently reminds me. You don't build a house when it's raining. Cement and concrete doesn't really set when there's more water being added to it all the time. It's times whenever the sun is shining when the day is good, when the job is good, when the career is good, when the school's going well, when your friends, everyone's peace on earth, that's the time you start building a house. That's, in fact, that's the time you start building big, thicker walls because there's going to be a storm coming. And here Moses is reminding them, you're about to go into the promised land. You're about to go over Jordan. You're about to face the giants that scared us off 40 years ago. Remember, the eternal God is thy refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. Isn't that brilliant? What a mighty God we serve. There isn't a night dark enough, a storm bad enough, a war bloody enough that he cannot cope with or will not be there for you in. Praise God. 
See, when I read that, I tell you, those immortal words came to me by Marvin Gaye. There ain't no mountain high enough. There ain't no valley low enough. There ain't no river wide enough to keep him, well, he didn't say him, but to keep him from getting to you. I even listened to it again, just remind me. <laughs> Are you not glad tonight that we have an eternal God who is not changed or diminished? by the passing of time, the use of his power, the size of the enemy doesn't affect him or the restriction society puts on him. God is eternal and he's eternally extending his hand towards us. Now we'll look at a particular characteristic or attribute of God that is eternal. Just as we did last week, we went a wee bit step further again. This time I want us to go back to the Psalms. I was actually worried this morning that Tony would start preaching my message a few times. And I was going, oh, I was really breaking out in a sweat a few occasions. <laughs> and there was a few times where I was thinking, oh, I could use that tonight. <laughs> Psalm, Psalm 136. God is a good God. Isn't it great to come together and to talk about God? Great to have our focus put back on him, to realign our will with his. It's wonderful. I'm just going to read a few verses because it does... I, I remember reading this one time. At, uh, I was over at Sharon's house and we read this, this chapter. I read the whole chapter. See, by the end of it, I could, I could almost weep. I tell you the truth of it. Let's start again. Psalm 136. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, of God of gods, for his mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his mercy endureth forever. To him who alone doeth great wonders, for his mercy endureth forever. To him that by wisdom made the heavens, for his mercy endureth forever. And it goes on and on. Every single verse there, for his mercy endureth forever. That's a good wee starting point. If you're looking for looking to build a good a good repetition into your life, good habits, read that chapter out there once a week. That'll remind you, his mercy endureth forever. We need to remind that we are sinners saved by grace. We are recipients of his mercy. His mercy towards me and you endures forever. He will not decide tomorrow that that's enough. My mercy's done. We've reached the limit. That's it. Going to start whacking. He will not <laughs> withdraw that very mercy. He will not decide tomorrow to punish us for our sins, but instead to continue offer, offering forgiveness, support, and a change of heart. That's a great kind of God. We were talking last week about the God who is strong and the God who is mighty, but I am thankful that he's also the God that is merciful and that his mercy endures forever. You know, the word there translated mercy in the English, in the King James Version anyway, is, is the word kizid, which is a wonderful word. Kizid or chizid is God's love for his covenant people. In some translations, this chapter reads, his steadfast love endures forever. God's love never fails and God's love is eternal. There's many other versions, but that's a wonderful truth. We all know that God is a God of love. Now we know that God's love endures forever. His love towards those who are in covenant is a wonderful thing. Those Rabbi Samai in the Talmud says the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible, begins with chizid and ends with chizid. So it begins with love and ends with love. The Torah, which is, the, again, these are a few Jewish things, the Torah is characterized by chizid. Some rabbis say that the giving of the law, or Torah, 
is the quintessential act of chizid, of love by God. That loving covenant obligation defined by love, by chizid, is a world of a difference between a contractual and covenantal system. If God had just made a contract with us, he could break it, we could break it. But because he has made a covenant with us, a covenant of love, therefore there's a lot, it's a lot more permanent, a lot more lasting, because he's the God who endures forever. The law was God's way to show us that we were not good enough. We would never be good enough, but it was a promise. I remember the first time I read this, the first time I, I realized this, I should say, I realized that in the, in the, the law, in the Old Testament, the law was actually a prophecy about Jesus. The first time you read the law, you're like, oh my word, that was really hard on them Jews. They're not allowed to eat bacon. Well, that's hard. But see, Talia, whenever you realize that the law was actually a promise, that one day someone would come who would fulfill the law. That'll change the way you read the law. If you read the law, then go like, praise the Lord. God did that. Jesus did that. You know, That's wonderful. The truth that he endures forever. And that the law given in love, because that's what it was given, given in love to these people who were filled, their mind and their, their, their will was filled with a pagan system, was filled with the Egyptian system. He said, no, 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 I need to take you out of that because in the Egyptian system you had a way of earning merit, of earning worth, of earning things like that. And he says, no, no, that's not right. Because we can't earn it. It is his gift, it is love unto us. The law was God's way of showing us that we were not good enough, that we would never be, but it was a promise that one day the Mashiach, the Messiah, would come and meet all its requirements. Now that's what I call loving kindness. I'm going to have to publish these. They're quite good, these notes. <laughs> Psalm 63, verse C. <laughs> it says, Thy loving kindness is better than life. The loving kindness towards those who are in covenant with him is better than life. Isn't it good? If you're in covenant tonight, aren't you glad that his loving kindness endures forever? God's steady, persistent refusal to wash his hands of the wayward Israel is the essential meaning of the Hebrew word which is translated loving kindness. He refused to wash his hands of them and displayed by, doing, by refusing, he displayed his loving kindness towards them. Time and time again, we can think back of their stories through the Old Testament of situations where people turned away, turned away from God, but he never ceased to love them. He never ceased to extend his loving kindness towards them. He never said, oh, that's it, forget it, my covenant. They broke it, it's not good enough anymore. No, 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 no. On the contrary, he continued, continued to call back to them continue to call to them. Read the book of Hosea. He continued to call to a wayward and perverse generation saying, come back to me. I love you. I have given my life for you. I've given my law to you to show you that you're not enough, that your laws and your righteousness isn't enough. Come back to me. You know, it's not being loving when we tell someone in sin that they're okay. There's nothing loving about it. It's, it, you know, in some ways it's cowardice in our path. You know, we don't like we're in, a, we're in a culture now where we don't like to confront people, where it's awkward to confront people. Oh, they might get angry with me. Who says that's a bad thing? There's a point where we, it's, we're actually, his righteousness endures, his right action endures. So our right response is that we have to tell them, listen, it's not my law, it's his law. Sin is still sin. There's no love in telling the homosexual it's okay 
or the person who performs an abortion, it's okay. There's no love in telling things that things like that are okay. That's not love telling them, you're okay there, just, just okay there. We just see when they get to heaven. There's no love in that. It's loving to tell them what the word of God says, what God thinks of them, and show them that the way, show them the way of salvation. We need to be reminded. You know, it speaks of Paul when he was speaking in, the, uh, in Athens, in the Areopagus, that he, was, uh, he says that, that, he, that people were pricked, that their consciences were pricked. I've, I've prayed, even when we were doing the Christianity Explored, I was praying that God would take the words that were said and the words in the video and the words in the course, that God would take it, sharpen it, and prick someone's bubble. And that's what God has to do sometimes. There has to be a pricking. There has to be a point where our conscience goes, oh, I don't like that. And if that happens, then it's something, something must have been right said, you know. So don't stop at the law, though. Don't stop just saying to someone, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. No, no, no. Tell them you're a sinner, but there is a way of salvation. There's a door of hope. There's an eternal God who has a loving covenant with his people. And so let's go a step further again. Oh, yeah, we're getting spoiled this week. Whenever the uh, in Bible times, a couple of years before Christ, they find that with Alexander the Great and the spread of Hellenism or Greek culture and Greek language throughout the whole Mediterranean area, they found that the problem was generation of Jews were coming along who didn't know Hebrew. They didn't speak it since they traded in Greek. They spoke Greek a lot, so they forgot Hebrew. So the uh, leading scholars at the time, 70 scholars, wrote the Septuagint, I never can pronounce it, um, which was a uh, Greek translation of the Old Testament. We still have it to this day. We can still refer back to it. And it's fascinating sometimes to look at it and to compare words that we have in English and words they would have in Hebrew and look at them and see the meanings. So, of course, we're getting to a really good bit here. So in the Tanakh, in the Greek version, um, uh, the word that they used for chizid was the word charis, which is the word grace. So whenever a, a Greek-speaking Jew read that his, his chizid endures forever, he was actually reading his charis, his grace endures forever. And that's, of course, where all the Christians in the New Testament all stand up and go, Thank you, Clifford. <laughs> the grace of God endures forever. What better way to epitomize the loving kindness of God than to call it the grace of God? What better way to think of God's grace and God's love towards us and to remember that it is endures forever? The grace of God endures forever. The first covenant promised the Messiah and the second was sealed by his blood. The first was only a covenant of love pointing out the fact that there was no value in our righteousness, but the second covenant was one of love and grace, showing our unworthiness, but his overabundance of worthiness. His grace endures forever. You know, we were singing that song there earlier, um, Amazing Love, Oh, how can it be that my Christ would die for me? Isn't that amazing that God would die for us in the demonstration of his love towards us? in a demonstration of his enduring love towards us. That grace that came down from heaven is not an impersonal force. It's not a wind or a feeling. Jesus is the grace of God to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The great truth of this fact, that God's grace endures forever. You know, in eternity, God, whenever people are saying to God, you know, angels might say to God in eternity, hypothetically, they, they might say to God, how, do you, how can we prove you're gracious? How can we prove you're merciful? 
all he would have to do is look and point to us and say, there's, my, there's the demonstration of my grace. There's a demonstration of my loving kindness. There's a demonstration. These people were in open rebellion to me, open defiance of me, and yet he, I poured out my love toward them. I sent my son, my very precious son, the darling of heaven, scripture calls him, or the songs call him, excuse me, the most perfect person sent him to die for us and to demonstrate in tangible form his grace and his love for us. There is something to shout about tonight, something to be rejoicing in. The God who changed my life and destiny is still in the life-changing business. His grace that, that so impacted my life is still impacting lives every day. You know, people in this Western world, we, we can be convinced that the world's becoming more secular and is here. We can be convinced of all the, the, the retreat of the church, the retreat of the gospel, but don't let the devil fool you. That's only the media. That's only the, the culture. The truth is that he has not diminished, that his power to change lives, his willingness to be involved in lives, his forgiveness never ends. He is still reaching out to people, no matter their situation, telling them that there is a better way, telling them that there is forgiveness, telling them that there is salvation. This is important that we remember this and that we don't let the world convince us. Don't believe the lies of the enemy that will try and convince you that the opposite is true. This is good news. The God of the universe, the God who showed me my condition, the God who gave me a door of salvation and escape, the God who saved me from the wages of sin has no plans of just leaving me there. He wants to take us from that place. God who is eternal has a plan and a purpose for our life, lives. God who is eternal loves you. The God who is eternal is not diminished or forgetful or, ne or negligent, but wants to be involved. If there's anything that I wanted to leave with you this, this week, that was it. I hope we get the message over from last week as well that God is eternal. He's not diminished by the use of his power. He's not diminished by the sarcastic rantings of people in the media or, or your neighbors. He's not diminished by the man around the corner who says, well, if, if there was a God, would he do that? That doesn't affect God. Only thing that'll do is that'll affect your belief in God. So you gotta, have, you gotta rub that out. You gotta replace that with something positive. You gotta re reinforce your knowledge of God and your experience with God and reinforce your memories of what God has done for you. And then you'll find that God will create new memories. He'll create new opportunities to praise him. New doors of hope will be opened. I just want to remind you of these truths. We have, we have to daily and weekly realign our hearts and minds to the reality of who God is. You know, as I was saying earlier there, build our lives upon the rock while the sun shines. You might not be facing anything today, but I guarantee you, something will come along tomorrow. It's, it's a fact of life. It's an opportunity to praise him. It's an opportunity to worship him. It's an opportunity now to build your house, to build it big and strong, to build your life upon a rock. Remember the story from the New Testament? Jesus spoke about building the man who built his house upon a rock. We all go, oh, that's building your life upon Jesus. Yes, I'm saved. That's not enough. That's, it's enough to get into heaven, yes. But it, in order to get through this life, and nothing better than a Skoda. You have to build your life. <laughs> and in order to get through this life, you have to remind yourself daily that this is the eternal God and he is still good and he is good all the time and that his desires and his plans for you are not affected by situations, not by affected by who's around you or what's going on. It's not affected by that sarcastic comment. You know, 
And if a believer says something to you that is actually negative and, and contrary to what God has said, you know, it says whatsoever things are good and whatsoever things are righteous, think on these things. This is, this is part of that. Think on these things. Think on the times when God has helped us. When someone says something, well, don't be afraid to actually cut across. Well, I understand, it's, it's really tough. But you know God's still good. <laughs> you know God's still eternal. What was that? Here's Jason's CD. <laughs> You're right. All right. Okay. Father God in heaven, Lord, we worship you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you're the God eternal, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you do not change, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that your resources are not limited, Lord, God. Your arm is not short, Lord. Your eye is not dim and your ear is not deaf, Lord. We thank you, dear God in heaven, that you hear us, Lord, that you see us, Lord, God, that you know exactly where we are. We pray, Lord God, that you'll remind us, Lord, to realign our eyes and our heart with you, Lord that you'll remind us this week, Lord, of the things that you have done for us, Lord. God, I praise you, Lord, for all that you have done. I praise you, Lord God, for salvation, Lord. We praise you, Lord, for Calvary. We thank you, Lord, that you have provided a door of hope, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, for it. We thank you for this night, Lord. We thank you for your word, Lord, and your reminders. In your name we pray. Amen.